Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, I'm joined by David Hedges and Jack Kenzel. You may have already seen it in the news, but David recently set a new supported and overall FKT on the Nolans 14 route in Colorado, finishing in a time of 39 hours, 6 minutes, and 40 seconds. Jack joins the conversation as a member of his crew and pacing team, and together we break down the effort, his strategy, his philosophy around choosing personal projects versus formal racing goals, and the impact of this effort in the broader trail running community. One thing to note, there are moments of profanity in this episode, so please keep that in mind if you are someone that finds that to be off-putting or aren't in the best environment to listen to such banter. Also, before we get started, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Kodiak Cakes. Personally, I'm a big fan of their buttermilk power cakes mix and chocolate oatmeal. They've got a massive selection though, and I encourage you to check it out. My favorite use case for this stuff is the post-weekend long-run breakfast gathering tradition with trail runner friends. So uh, head over to KodiakCakes.com forward slash single track podcast and use code singletrack15 at checkout for 15% off your next order. With that, let's get to the conversation with David and Jack. We're back with a special episode of the Single Track Podcast. I'm joined by frequent collaborator Jack Kenzel to help co-host this interview and also joined by the man, the myth, the legend. We've had him on the podcast once before, David Hedges. David just set an FKT on the vaunted Nolan's 14 route, and that's what we're going to debrief today. I think before I get into some of these questions and some of Jack's questions, it's good to check in with everybody. David, starting with you, how's it going? How you feeling? What's up in your world? Where are you at? It's pretty good. I uh, I'm heading home to Chicago for a weekend tomorrow, so I'm uh, unfortunately late over in Denver, or fortunately for you Denver people. But um, yeah, I've I've recovered like well, like maybe too well, and yeah, feeling pretty good. How about you, Jack? What's up with you? Not much. Just just living the life in Boulder and. My back has finally recovered from my deadlifting experiment. So, yeah, that's 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 can't really ask for much more. It was a little bit you got a little bit tweaked helping out David, but uh, it's it's come <laughs> around. <laughs> Wait, what was this deadlifting experiment? Well, I mean, I used to I used to deadlift a lot, and uh, I coach, and so I started programming a lot of lifting recently for my athletes, and we were seeing great results. And so I was starting to think like, hey, maybe I should start lifting again. And so I was I was very curious to see how much strength I'd retained since you know, five or six years ago, the last time I deadlifted. And so I'd been meaning to do it for a while. And then Dan, I was at the gym and Dan texted me and he was like, how much can you deadlift? And, uh, and so I just went and, uh, I just like started, I had no idea. And I just like started, well, my first mistake was I put a, I put a poll on my IG story and like people were guessing numbers that like really pissed me off. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, I got to fix this. And so, uh, so yeah, I pulled I pulled what three eighty five for three, and that felt good. And I was like, oh, I got to do four four oh five. So what, like four plates? And the first one went fine, and then the second one, like just like shooting pain, kind of up my back, and <laughs> wasn't very intelligent. <laughs> we should probably we'll save the rest of that for a future episode. Yeah. But um, David, uh, you are an absolutely fascinating individual. I find you to be one of the most interesting people in the ultra trail scene. And I have to challenge you with this first question. It's not quite Nolan's related, but I was just doing a scan of your Strava 
And as far as I can tell, you basically run 12 to 16 hours every single week, sometimes more without fail. There's little to no buildup, little to no tapering. You're just hammering volume. Can you talk about that training philosophy and you know where it exists in the literature? And is this something coaches get behind? Because I mean, it's it's impressive. Like the work ethic, the load is impressive. But what wh- like what is the what's the science behind this? What what do you like? What's the philosophy behind this? Yeah, I mean, I, so I have to, I have to preface with I I do in fact have a coach who is an amazing coach. Alex Nichols, and who sometimes I follow uh, his guidance. But the good thing about Alex is that he's known me for, uh, well, since I was 18, and maybe even before via Strava. And so he knows that uh, <clears throat> this is uh, not without precedent. <laughs> like, I've been doing stupid vault. I mean, I think at first it was from like a pretty, like, you know, like chasing demons and running away from stuff. And then I guess at some point it became training. And then I think now it's more like healthy enjoyment of the mountains. But yeah, so I do. I mean, I think I have like 580 hours of running so far this year. So I'm on track for it. But no, it is not scientifically verified. It's just uh, empirically sort of verified. And I probably do a lot of stuff that the uh, textbooks say you should not. But you're saying you're recovering too well from this effort. So maybe all of that work you do on a weekly basis, it just sets you up nice to absorb this. Is that kind of plan out here or hash out here? I think there's something to that. I mean, I think it's like, it's like if you can make it through the fire for long enough, I mean, I had my series of stress fractures, but if you can make it through, then eventually, um, you know, knock on wood, you can, you can at least use it. You can at least use all the training and experience and whatnot. All right, David, one of the first questions that I want to ask you as it relates to Nolan's is just like, I've been following your career for a while. We talked just before the UTMB last year that you, you know, you were over in France training pretty specifically for, and I still think at some point in time, you could have a really great day at this race. But the question I want to ask you is just, making that decision between investing in a type of competition like UTMB where there's just a ton of competition versus investing in these prestigious FKTs where it's kind of like man versus nature, man versus wild. And there is like a lot of satisfaction in it, but you're, you're not like on the same starting line with people testing your limits. So, uh, talk about that difference there and, and where your mind is at in terms of interest and in the value in those things. And, how it all kind of relates to Nolan's. I definitely share some of like Jack's approach or like beliefs about racing and how, you know, basically it's harder to get on stuff that's like actually inspiring and, and sort of push yourself on the, on the terrain you really enjoy. That's definitely part of it. I mean, I think like just last year being an example of UTMB, I, it was, I don't know how to diagnose like the the pressure where it came from, but it was just a little much for me in some ways, I think. And and just having one goal that whole time, like to then show up and there's all these people lying in the streets and like you're running with people you followed your whole life. And, and all of a sudden it's like, wow. I mean, even if that pressure just totally self invented, it was a lot. And you know, what's interesting is I've done a handful of FKTs and just this year, the two biggest ones being this, obviously. And then 
the Art Lobe Trail I, I did in February. And just, I mean, and I've been at some decently big races and won them and, and whatnot. But the amount of response people have and the amount of stoke people have for these trails is, is exponentially greater than, I mean, obviously I've never done well at UTMB or Western States, but like, you know, I won the 50, the local big 50 miler in North Carolina and some people cared. I did the Art Lobe Trail, which was, you know, a great experience. And everyone's like, oh shit, that's my favorite trail. You did that in five hours and 28 minutes. It takes me like three days. I've been doing that, you know. So, and now, you know, through hikers, there's like so many through hikers around now. It's like an exploding scene and they're all stoked on these sorts of efforts. So, yeah, I think there's, there's sort of, yeah. Jack, I have a question for you. Just building off what David said, where do you fit the Nolan's 14 route that David just completed into, I'll call it the pantheon of American FKTs. Like when you're, putting together, I don't want to say like a Mount Rushmore, but a, a series of prestigious FKTs. How does Nolan's fit into that mix? I mean, Nolan's is, it, it, it's kind of a unique distance where, you know, we have a lot of records that are, uh, you know, several days, like things that are like, you know, the long trail and the JMT and like the New Hampshire 4,000 foot peaks and the Adirondack, uh, the 46 4,000 foot peaks and the Adirondacks are all about like three, four days. And then we have, uh, you know, stuff that's, I mean, really it's a lot of stuff that's then is, is much shorter. Uh, that's less than 12 hours and Nolan's like similar to white's kind of fills kind of this middle space. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic route. I mean, I can't tell you like how many people have come up to me in Boulder and in Leadville in the last like two days. And they're like, Oh, you're the guy who pays David. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just too funny. Like, like David said, like these routes really resonate with people. And I think, I think part of that is, you know, just this constant issue. And, you know, I think it's a good thing in this U.S. where kind of our, our, our best lands are set aside. You can't conduct races there. And so the races tend to be, you know, sometimes a, more, a little bit more contrived. Whereas like in Europe, you know, a lot of people hike around Mount Blanc on, you know, I don't know what the TMB trail, whatever that trail is called. And a lot of people and then the race takes place on that trail. So if that was in the U.S., like that would be an FKT. Uh, that trail and it would be protected land. So uh, I think in Europe, you know, kind of the FKTs and the races are kind of the same. Whereas in the US, like our best routes are not, are not uh, races. So uh, I think that may be why people resonate a little bit more. David, I have a, a follow-up question for you in a moment, but I, Jack, I, I do want to get your opinion on this as well. When, when you, I know I, I have a sense of where you fall on the whole, like pursue these personal FKT projects versus the, pull towards UTMB and being on the same line as people like Tom Evans and Jim Walmsley, for example. But we were talking offline and I don't know, I got a more, I got a different answer from you than I had ever heard in the past. So <laughs> where are you at right now with that? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I've gotten to the point in, in many ways, like, I mean, I think, I think most FKTs that I, I want to go after, I can, I can kind of get at this point. And, um, you know, it's just like the top, the top guy, you know, the top men, I mean, that's who I'm primarily racing against in the last couple of years have been, you know, concentrated on the, on the racing scene. And, um, I think a lot of it is, uh, part of me just like wants the, I don't know if it's a validation or to prove to people that I can kind of like hang with those guys, 
and they just like haven't recently put down like you know Killian in the last year hasn't put down like an A plus effort on an FKT that I'm interested in going for, you know. So going forward, I just increasingly feel kind of this this need, you know, both to prove to like people I've never even met, and then like you know motherfuckers like Dan Kurtz who are just like constantly chirping me and you. Both of you said like, hey, like if I never race, like there's going to be an asterisk, you know, on my career, which honestly may be true. So, and then like the other thing that pisses me off, different topic, but like, is like people saying, you know, there was a thread recently about like, you know, how there's no doping controls in FKTs. And some people were like, oh yeah, you know, I see people going for FKTs and uh, I assume they're doping. Like, what the fuck? Like, you know, there's the doping controls at races are like on race day. There is no out of competition testing. It's a joke. It's all a joke, you know? So, yeah, this stuff pisses me off. And for these reasons, I'm thinking about racing, but like I look at the races I would do and like they're not, I don't find them very inspiring. You know, I'm like not that interested. All I would be doing it is just to like prove to other people that I can. So I don't know how David feels about this stuff. You know, he, he like feel, obviously. David? How do you feel? About Jack racing? Just anything. I mean, I think I think Jack could show up unsponsored, like tattered ass Wendy Cap at UTMB and win because he could, and it would be it would break the sport, man. The whole thing would be it'd be <laughs> over. Su- that would be over. such a such a narrative violation. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> all those like fat, you know, like all the brand people are going to be just sitting around at the finish being like. <laughs> but i mean i think there are still a few races out there it just it kind of sucks to me that we that you know just like the emphasis are all on the ones that are necessarily those if you know what i mean like there's a handful like the race i mean maybe it's just personal bias but uh ultra trail snowdonia i did uh eight weeks ago and it's like a legit course it's sick it's, it's an amazing yeah. race and some people in you know, and it, it's like fairly competitive for, I don't know, new, you know, English, uh, UK, May standards, but uh, but you never hear about it over here. So, but it's you know, it's a lot harder than UTMB, that's for sure. I think there is some, I don't want to say level setting, but just like bare minimum facts that we should discuss to describe the route so that anybody that's listening or watching isn't familiar, they can kind of get caught up to speed. But before that. I mentioned that I was just fascinated by your general approach to the sport. And one of those parts is just your lifestyle. Like I've seen you kind of follow the training, follow the running, so to speak. And you've had, you know, stints in the white mountains of New Hampshire. You've based yourself in the smoky mountains in North Carolina and Tennessee. I I love that, you know, vagabond type lifestyle and just chasing the most appropriate terrain or, you know, wherever your running leads you. Talk about that. Like, talk about the way you've structured your life to make running important, and uh, maybe you could even segue it into like how much time you spend on this particular course preparing. I mean, I guess I'm a junkie. <laughs> like, like I mean, thinking back, this started in in high school. I was just like, I got, I just got totally obsessed, and to the point where instead of touring colleges on college tours, I'm from Chicago, and like we did the whole college tour thing because I have a twin sister and so both of us would go instead of doing like I rate like I would just rate I raced those weekends or ran like I was late to every single college tour every single one or if I or I didn't come because I was just running I was like oh my god there's a trail and 
so then I went to college in Colorado at CC and, uh, and I just like, I just try to go as, you know, as far and wide as I could. I just, just like completely wanted to check everything out. And I guess I'm the type of runner that like I'll do some, I'll come up with some like really routes, some really cool routes I'm, I'm, I'm happy with and do them a couple times. And then I'll be like, uh oh, I either have to do them faster or find something else, which is unhealthy. But anyways, no, I mean, the, the moving around has actually been for school internships. Uh, family stuff. And now in Colorado, I'm just dirtbagging. So, uh, just for no I was just going to ask if you were on Jack's level of, you know, like we've seen Jack, for example, say like, put out like messages on Twitter, put the bat signal out. Like I need to get to 12,000 feet elevation tonight. Anyone have a parking lot I can go to? Like, you know, he's just every single 0.01% of, uh, of opportunity there. He's going to seize it from a lifestyle standpoint. So are you, are you on that? same level or are you maybe a league or two below that i don't know about the same level like i'm not willing to do indoor workouts to get faster uh so that's that's kind of like a floor or a ceiling but uh <laughs> uh but otherwise i mean yeah i can't really help it like i i, I like it's just like running close first uh, i i wish i could i mean i've made it through grad school and shit sort of but uh like well, uh, David, I think you should talk about like the uh, the history you have on the line because it is it is significant. Like this has been like a journey that has like been like multiple years. Like this was not just like going on the FKT site and like finding a premier route. Okay, yeah, no, I'll tell I'll tell the, I'll tell the tale. So as a high schooler going back, I you know like I said I was obsessed, and of course uh, I read a lot and read Anton's blog. <laughs> prolifically every single thing several times and he went for nolan's at a certain point in like 20 i don't i think 13 or so or 14 and uh and i actually think there was a film i'm um i'm not sure if it's really up but um i was i was like completely i was like yeah i, I think like my jaw actually dropped reading about this i was like every single 14er in this range and uh, and just to see him go after it too, just like of course he was, I think it was more minimal that purpose. But so that's when I learned about it. Then of course I followed. I mean, I hate to say it this way, but I, in a way I followed in his footsteps to CC, Colorado College, and uh, I got to know Alex Nichols, who's the who was the assistant uh, cross country coach. He's now the head coach there, and. Um, and some of the run, the the sort of like Colorado Springs run fixtures, guys like Brandon Stepanovich, who's has history on the route, Peter Maximo, who's just like into all things Colorado and all things Colorado running, and running in general, and beer, and, you know, other things. So. And ran, got got out with them a few times, did pikes a few times. I spent my first summer actually before going to CC near Vale and Avon, but I started hitting up. I mean, I did the triple, like I did Belford, Oxford, Missouri, you know, like a, in a really bad thunderstorm. I did Albert Massive that first year. I did Shivano. So I already started in 2016 and then sort of start, kept taking them off 2017. Then Alex went after his record in 2018 summer. He was a little short on crew. 
And so I was supposed to bring stuff in, you know, snacks into him at um, Pine Creek, so about halfway. So it's like a nine-mile trail run in, which I did at like, I don't know, eight. Met him as he was coming off Harvard and then went up Oxford with him where uh, he had a bit of an implosion and then some rallying and implosion rally, et cetera. And uh, like both their watches were dead. Both their phones were dead like by, you know, four in the morning. And I hadn't ever been to Winfield. I had no idea where I was. I don't even think I knew where I parked. Genuinely, I just followed the GPS coordinates. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, shit, I guess I'm going to keep going. And he was like, yeah, if you want. So I kept going. I finished the whole route with him. Well, almost. He uh, he, he met Megan Hicks at uh, Half Moon Road below Massive, where this, we, the two of us did. And then they promptly dropped me. So I went up Massive alone, but then somehow made it sufficient. Anyways. After that, I was like, I was like mind blown. Like, not only that someone could do that and how cool the route was, but also that he could drop me 40 hours in or 45 hours in. No, 40 hours in. And, uh, and so then I just take, I did, I, that's when I started doing like, you know, objectively insane linkups like every day, all summer, every summer. And uh, so, yeah, for the last five years, basically, this has been in the back of my mind. What were the insights from the 2013 Anton blog? What'd you pick up? Any quotes, any just memorable insights, stuff like that? I'd have to read it again. But basically, what it boils down to is he thought it was a sick line and he didn't quite make it. So I, I don't I don't know, honestly, much. I mean, I know like Joey Camps's effort. And I think what's interesting about this route is like for both Joey and David, it was like major, major uh, you know, they put in a huge, huge investments, you know, Joey, I think it was his third attempt, uh, when he actually got the record and he spent, you know, weeks, months, uh, living in an altitude, sleeping in an altitude tent. Uh, and then David, you know, this has been something he's been working towards for years. So like Nolan's, I think even, even like guys don't even do that for like the AT, I feel like, yeah. I mean, I guess Joey did do the AT twice, but you know, it's, it's kind of a, a level of commitment. I think that is kind of unique. Uh, you know, Sabrina Stanley raced Nolan's twice in one summer. I mean, it's just like, it's a route that's got some pretty yeah. epic efforts on it. Yeah. Megan X too. Yeah, and I mean, and a lot of, a lot of, I mean, I think Joey mentioned this at some point he was, you know, he was, he was bemoaning how the speedy guys, the, the quote unquote speedy guys approach Nolan's. And it's true. A lot of guys have, have failed on it. I mean, I won't name them, but, uh, like a lot of pros have gone after it and either not run what they thought they could or, or just had to fail for one reason or another. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Rabbit, makers of my favorite trail running apparel. I'll be using their Shredder 5-inch shorts and switchback tee on my upcoming run of the 100-mile wilderness in Maine, and I encourage you to check out their lineup for similar racing and personal project adventures as well. Head over to their website and use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout for 20% off your next purchase. What is the elevator description for Nolan's 14? Like if you could describe Nolan's in the simplest way possible for anybody listening or viewing that is not familiar, how would you describe it in like two minutes or less? It's linking 14 14ers in the Sawatch range from Plank's Cabin outside of Salida to the Leadville Fish Hatchery just outside of Leadville. 
And um, the 14ers aren't the hardest 14ers. They are the tallest 14ers in the state. But, I mean, it's basically, it's mostly off trail. And it's a good deal of route finding. And just, uh, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. And what makes it difficult? Like, what are the features of this FKT attempt that that present a pretty significant challenge to athletes like yourself? So it could be weather, it could be terrain, altitude, et cetera. Like, what, what are the features of difficulty that stick out to you? Yeah, I would say, and these things aren't necessarily obvious, which is maybe maybe actually why it's such a hard route. But what I would say is the exposure. I mean, you know, you're just, you're, you have to pick a clear day. Otherwise, you know, because otherwise you're going to be blown off or struck by lightning. So you're, you're in the sun the whole time and wind. And, and that definitely adds up, uh, especially like, I mean, and just the amount of dust and whatnot. Uh, so that's one. Two is, like all the sort of, I mean, just from a, like a physical side, the, the sort of stabilizer muscles you have, basically you're, you know, you're off camber the whole time and you're, you're going down scurry and up, up really loose stuff. And so you can, you know, if you don't train that, you're, you're going to fatigue just, just way easier than, than you think if, you know, if you're good at, at trail running. And then the last thing, and probably the biggest, is uh, is the mental game. You, you know, if you start having a low point, you're probably going to have a really, really low point because once you get above like thirteen thousand feet, you know, everything just gets so much harder, and and so you can spiral so easily, you know, because you start getting beat out of it, and then your stomach goes, and then you get headaches, and I don't know, hate and. Yeah, so there's a lot of variables, but I would say those three things. Just to add on a little there. So yeah, the routes like, I think David's data was saying like 93 miles and like 45, 46,000 feet climbing. I think White's is like similar. It's like 93, 94 miles and like 35, 36,000 feet climbing. So about additional 10,000 feet. And like the route is, the route is quite steep. You know, it is, it is off trail and it's just like the most, it's just the fastest lines up and down the mountains. And, uh, in some places it's like really steep scree. And, and, uh, I mean, I, when I pace David, I was sometimes having trouble keeping my feet underneath me just cause it is so, uh, steep and technical. And then, you know, I think the other interesting thing is, is there were some like kind of interesting ailments that kind of like David was either presented with or was concerned about, uh, like super dry throat and like a lot of, uh, like, you know, almost like issues with his tongue. Like David, you can kind of talk to this and then like, Another issue that a lot of people have had is like issues with contacts. So it's just kind of brutal, you know, just being up in the dust and kind of at that elevation for so long. I think it just really dries people out and has some has some kind of like bizarre impacts, it seems. How'd you train for this? So talk about, you know, how early you arrived to the area for the route and, you know, what typical days looked like, how important it was to cover certain sections more than others maybe how many times you completed the route over the course of multiple weeks, stuff like that. I, I decided I'd do this in January. I was living in North Carolina at the time. And I mean, my one concern was out was acclimatization. Like if I could show up and six weeks later, you know, be ready. So that was a bit of a, of a you know, I just didn't know. But so I, I did start training specifically for it in North Carolina, just with some, really big weeks and some intentionally 
Like I went to the Limpool Forge for a long run that took like nine hours at night, and uh, which was a lot of just really gnarly stuff. And then the race in Wales was a perfect training, actually. Like, actually, Sabrina was there too, funny enough. And she said, like, yeah, it's like a kind of like a mini Nolan. Um, and then I, so I got here June, June 1st. Uh, I, I got to Colorado Springs and um, was there for just two days and then moved out. I was staying with Alex and then started camping beneath the route on June 3rd. And it was just very, very snowy and stormy, actually. So I was, I was doing a lot of early morning, but basically I was trying to, because of the race in Wales, which took, I mean, I got third, but it, it took 26 hours. I knew I didn't need any long, you know, really long runs. I didn't have to put any full, you know, like 12 hour days in. So I just did half days or in a few, like, eight-ish or seven, six to eight hours for four days. The difficult thing with scouting is unless you have uh, someone to shovel you, you know, you really don't want to go up and then back over. You just get, it's just so training, you know, it really adds up. So you have to do a lot of sort of links with um, the CT or just stick with one or two peaks or in some cases three. And so, yeah, there was my volume at, at the, the first few weeks were was there were a few quite a few Colorado trail miles in there. So basically I was scouting the route, getting at high altitude, getting strong. Those were like the objectives. And so I try to cover the route, the whole thing, like every section, every, you know, sort of part of it at least twice this year. And some of them, like Mount Yale, I think I did like probably seven times this year. And so it was interesting because basically I was creating my own personal heat maps that I was able to use a with a week out to create the final GPX file from all the years because I've, I've always used Strava. So I had quite a few, heat maps. you know, I, so, oh, and I should, I should say I was using Joey Campanelli um, GPX file in training and then created my own for the race. Um, but yeah, that was the process. I guess two questions off that. First, do you believe that there is a quote-unquote textbook way to train for this route? And I guess the second question is, did you try to mirror the preparation of other people who've had success on this route, like Joey Camps? And it sounds like to some extent you did. I mean, I checked out what Joey did was doing. And I mean, you're going to have to get him on to talk about it, really, because it was a little hard to tell. Because uh, a lot of times he's using the Strava app instead of the watch, it seems. But it's so it seemed like he was spending basically all day out and running, you know, a fair bit of volume and then very little taper. So I think I came with a bit more confidence. Basically, I just looked back over my training from last summer in the Alps, which was, you know, absurd. Like I was doing fifty thousand foot vertical weeks regularly. And I was like, you know, there's nothing about the steepness or the amount of climbing or the distance that's really going to be, you know, going to be, um, is going to end, you know, is going to be your weakness. So you just have to, you just have to kind of get your metabolism used to these, you know, a slower effort, uh, get your legs used to it and, and just, just kind of build the stoke for the route. And then I think also what was really important is I did a, a 10 day taper. I was told to taper by Alex and then I corroborated. I, I texted Jack. I'm like, 
did I taper? Basically, and he was like, "Yes." So I did, and I intentionally got off the route completely. Like I didn't, I didn't look at it. I mean, I, I used my binoculars to literally look at the snow, but um, I I didn't get on it. I was so I just slept high and trained high, but just I actually tapered, and I think that was really important for like you know. 30 some hours and just to, just to be, just to keep that motivation. You said Joe, did Joey taper at all? <laughs> I think it was like two or three days, maybe. <laughs> did, yeah. How were you like, I mean, it was, it's just really interesting to me because like, I think if I did this route, I would have come out like so hot out of the gate. Were you, were you running Joey's splits between the peaks? Like, like, how did you feel about like the pace? Cause it's like, I mean, honestly, it's like, it seems kind of slow when you're doing it, but to do it for 39 hours, I think that's what's, it's just really tricky. I think to figure out a pace, something like that. Everyone told me go slower than you think to start. And that wasn't a problem because I started at four thirty, and I'm not a morning person. So I was virtually asleep at the start. Like, seriously, like I was, I was like, what, what is, what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I'm tired. I slept like four and a half hours the night before. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't hard to stay slow at first. And then I just, I really tried to, to not get caught up in like the highs and lows. And so if there was a high, not to push it. And basically I, basically what happened is I saved my highs till the end. I couldn't really push it that much anyways, but when it really counted and I could run. So I had a low on, Princeton to Yale just because I miss some nutrition and and that's probably the most exposed part and I just it was like 90 degrees it, it was really hot at, at altitude and I just kind of I kind of fell apart a little bit but I just was like well there's no point in trying to like beat yourself up about being a little behind pace or because the paces are so slow I think the one thing I thought that I got a little nervous about is like I was running the Princeton section I'm like there's no way Alex would have run this slower than this. Like he must have been twice as fast, which I'm actually not entirely sure if it was true. But so that made me think, like, oh no, I'm really behind pace. But it wasn't. It wasn't even the case. So it's like you just can't even think about pace. I know you mentioned to me uh, something about thirty-eight thirty or something. Did you have like an idea? of like what you would what you would split the whole thing in and like where where did that where did that even come from kind of that number uh yeah so i put together a spreadsheet ahead of time and was trying to figure out splits and the range ended up being like <laughs> like seven hours for like the last few cross you know um checkpoints so i really didn't know but i was shooting for like i guess my eagle was 38 eagle 40 seagull 41 and that was just derived from creating the splits and thinking like what psychologically I could sort of try to chase. So I, but instead of like thinking about like the individual splits while running it, I thought about what time I would finish. So I'd be like 8.30, I'll be finished by 8.30. So that's like the minimum. And then we'll see what happens if I can finish. Like, oh man, it would be so cool if I finished by 4.30. But yeah, that's yeah. From a historical standpoint, why do you think Joey Campanelli went so far under prior 
supported records on New Orleans. Like I think, what was it like seven, eight hours he took off the route and that probably intimidated some people for a long time before David came around. But like Jack, what's your theory on why Joey was able to do what he did? Uh, Also given that there were some pretty recognizable names that had come before him with pretty stout or allegedly stout, you know, high 40 times. Yeah, I think Joey is just like is just very tough, and I think he brought a lot of like the tricks and kind of tools and tactics that through hikers use uh, for these longer FKTs. I'd be really curious to see like how Alex's Alex Nichols, who ran like I what like forty five, forty six, to see like how his moving pace compared to David's, because I wouldn't be surprised if their moving pace was very similar. And David just never stopped. And so Joey probably was going a little, maybe even a little bit slower than Alex. I'm just speculating here. But Joey definitely just never stopped. And like part of that is because Joey was unsupported and he was carrying his own aid and he wasn't meeting anybody out there. So there really was no reason to stop. But also because Joey, you know, had raced the Appalachian Trail twice. And I think he just knew the value of just like continuous movement. And I think that's probably why he was able to take off so much time. I know Joey does a lot of, does a lot, a lot of volume. You know, he does a ton, a ridiculous amount of ski volume and, you know, his just, his like aerobic paces, you know, the paces that he can just sustain all day. is just was probably, you know, was so great. But, uh, and I think Joey also, I think like one thing I think that's important for this route is, is strength is like being, being strong and, uh, having like a, you know, a very powerful central nervous system. And I think Joey, you know, is a, is a, on, you know, relative to other runners is a very strong guy. And so I think that probably helped him maintain a, a fairly fast pace the entire time. Yeah. I mean, and then the other thing is that if you talk to him about it, if you read his blog, the guy, I mean, the level of Stoke is unapproachable. Like it's, it's crazy. It's like, you know, stratospheric. He's totally, he's so stoked on the route and, and, like kind of the just everything about it i mean I, and i and if you read his blog like the way he sort of like his his motivation was was like existential he was he was really just wanted to have like a really special you know like life pinnacle moment in the mountains on this in these mountains that he loves you know more than anything and, and he did like I was following it at the time and I thought that that's it. Like we're all screwed for if we want to lower the record. So, I mean, I have to give him a ton of credit and like doing it unsupported is more, is I think it's a lot more impressive than what I did. Like, I, I mean, especially like I had a lot of respect to him for him to start. And then when I was out there, like on the second day supported, just thinking what he must've been going through. Like, I, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's wild. Yeah, uh, just to add one side note to that, if anybody wants to explore Joey's writing, which is this awesome stream of consciousness, a lot of sentence fragments, but in like a really inspiring way, go. I'll, I'll link to his blog in the show notes. It's incredible. And yeah, no, I've never seen somebody dramatize speed walking the way he does. Like if you go read his <laughs> 2014 Appalachian Trail day-to-day thing i'm pretty sure he was just walking down the trail and just voice dictating into his blogspot app and that became the blog post each day and it's absolutely brilliant and i and i mean this in like a very like praiseworthy way it, i i like used his blog as fuel for a lot of my own motivation so we'll, we'll link to it but 
I was going to say my personal theory is always like Jordan Fields and I used to argue about this. Like I always used to tell Jordan, like if you're racing and you're having a good time, you are not going fast enough. Like racing should not be fun. Like it should not be a pleasant experience. And like, I don't know, like, you know, maybe Joey's brain and like other people's brain is just like wired differently. Like, yeah, Joey's just, he's like, so he described his Nolan's as like 41 hours of bliss, which I cannot imagine it was, but, uh, I think, yeah, Joey's just a little different. Thank you to HVMN for supporting this episode. Lately, I have been using their ketone IQ product during long runs, as well as right after those big efforts. I find that during long runs, taking a shot of their ketone IQ product maintains my mental clarity and focus. And when I take that shot post-run, especially in the midst of consecutive big weeks of training, I find that it expedites recovery. So if you're interested in giving it a try yourself, head over to hvmn.com forward slash single track 20. And if you use that link, you'll save 30% off your order if you choose to become a subscriber, or you can use our old code SINGLETRACK20 for 20% off your order at checkout if you're just choosing that one-time purchase. With that, let's get back to the conversation. David, what were, and I think you've touched on a lot of them here, like we had that whole discussion about the Anton blog, but what were some of the other great pieces of advice that you received either from Jack here or anybody else that was working around you helping to make this uh effort possible yeah talk about that good question uh talk with joey did you talk with joey at all yeah and you know we were nearby in june and he was he was just doing he was just busy with something and he's still uh he's still a little he's still a little uh a little sick i think but so that was unfortunate but i chatted with him a decent amount and that that was good I didn't get too much advice advice. I mean, the only thing I'd say is that at a certain point, like especially after UTMB last year and just, and you know, the level, it's hard to express the level of, you know, I was training 35 hour weeks for this in June, which, you know, adds up between the driving and the planning and the, and the, the visualizing and it's like 60 hours. And not to mention the eating. I mean, that's, it's your whole life. It's my whole life. It's, anyways, at a certain point last over the winter, well, actually in the fall in New Hampshire, I got in a very bad fall, like like a literal, like I fell and hurt my hip. It was really bad. I somehow managed to not get seriously injured. Anyways, I had a bit of an existential moment myself, and I basically had no fucks left. Like. That's, you know, I never thought I would go after Nolan's when I was 25. I thought maybe 30 or 35. And I was like, well, I'm not making any money of this. You know, I'm still in grad school, but I'll be done. I have till November 6th to be on my mom's health care. Like, I only have a certain amount of savings. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it once. And I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish it. Like, that's it. So... That's what I did. <laughs> I don't know. I basically didn't give myself another choice. Part of the reason why we have Jack here is because Jack was at ground zero for many points of this effort, crewing, pacing you throughout the day. So I think it'd be fun to get into just like actual on the ground stories, experiences. Talk about the high points and the low points of the day, starting with the high points. David, where were things really clicking for you? And why do you think? Actually, at the end... Yeah, I mean, I do well with company, and Jack joined me on Elbert, and then Jack and, well, Nikki caught us up on Massive, 
And so the best part is the summit of Massive, hands down. And I was still feeling re- like the whole day I was waiting to be like, when am I going to get hit just with exhaustion? And I never was. Just never. In fact, I started feeling better after, you know, during the second day. So that was, that was great. And then Huron was the crux of the day because the snow had filled the basin in last winter and it had it, it, it was, it's, you know, it was still around and really icy. And I did that at about three in the morning. Or, yeah. And I made it up, you know, in one piece somehow. It was pretty tough actually. But I made it up and then got the sunrise running on top of your own. And with the sheep up there as, as well. That, that was unreal. It was, it was just like so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of double down on the, um, on the massive moment. So like what had happened was it's like Nikki La Rochelle was supposed to meet us at the, the half moon trailhead at the base between Albert and massive, the last two peaks, massive being the last one. And, uh, it was just it was just kind of confusing which where she was supposed to meet us exactly and also like a lot of those roads to access those deep trailheads are really bad and so um we kind of like my back was like i wasn't sure i was even going to run with david and then we were we dropped down off elber and we were just coming up massive and i was like you know what this is a good time for me to stop i'm going to stop now and uh we get to the trailhead and nikki isn't there and like fortunately i had taken enough calories to get david to the end and i was like okay we just got to we just got to go and hopefully she'll catch us and so apparently Mickey went to the wrong trailhead and then attempted to drive to the correct one. Couldn't because of like the road was so bad. And so she had gotten David like a scone, kombucha, like watermelon, like all this stuff. And she was like running up the road with carrying all this stuff. And then I had told like 15 people passing us like, Hey, like if you see some woman in a running vest running up the trail, just tell her that, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're up, we're up here. And so she just like ran to one of these people and they're like, oh yeah, they're like, you know, up the trail like 30 minutes. And so she just like handed them the watermelon and all this stuff and then just like took off after us. So she caught us like right before the summit of Massive and like that was a lot of fun. And then, yeah, I'd been like talking about seeing goats all day and like we'd seen them in the distance and then all of a sudden we like pull onto the summit of Massive and they're just standing like right on the summit. And it was like, it was really cool. So that was, that was very neat. I think the other fun one, uh, David, talk about, talk about the phone call you got on Albert. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Well, I also have to, I have, I have to emphasize that Jack is a, a fantastic pacer because, uh, uh, cause he's, you know, entertaining and all that. <laughs> we were, we were going and I was just like, I kind of felt bad because a couple of times I like got in David's way because I was like filming things for my Instagram story. <laughs> like he's trying to yeah, come up like, the trail and I like saw, I'd see like a marmot or something and I'm like blocking the whole path, like trying to get this shot of the marmot. <laughs> but, yeah, Jack's like amorizing, Jack's amorizing the marmots up there. <laughs> right, right. No, yeah, no, I guess so somehow Jack uh, got, I think Kyle uh, Richardson to call... Somehow, somehow Anton called Jack at the top of Albert <laughs> and put me on the line, or Jack put me on the line, and uh, so we had a, like a very short talk, and it was, I think, it was pretty awesome. I mean, I think Anton was a little confused. <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, buddy, sounds like you're gonna break the record," and I think I said, 
<laughs> I think I said, well, I have one big peak to go, and I have to get down here without Jack kicking rocks on me. So <laughs> we'll see. It's not done yet. <laughs> and he was so, like, yeah, we were. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the story. <laughs> we were we were running up Elbert and uh and David was like David was like we somehow Anton came up and David was like, Oh dude, I'd be so stoked if Anton knew who I was. And I was like, Oh well we'll make that make sure that happens right now. So I just like text <laughs> Kyle and I was like I was like, yo, what's Anton's number? And Kyle's like, Why do you want Anton's number? And I was like, Oh, you know, I think it'd be fun, you know, have a little chit chat and Kyle's like, That's a stupid idea. And I was like, Okay, please just give me his number. <laughs> And so I just texted Anton and I was like, Hey, like, can you, can you, do you mind calling me right now? And just like chatting with David and saying, hi, um, you know, he's on the summit of Albert. So yeah, he called. So yeah, it was kind of fun. That's awesome. But, it was yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> Not awkward at all. No. <laughs> well, I'm going to go now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. How about, and again, I think, I think one of the reasons why I want to ask this line of questioning is I'm sure there are going to be some people that listen to this episode in the future that are looking for, you know, insights recon for future attempts. So talk about either low points in the day or places where you were caught off guard or places where things kind of went awry. I mean, a couple of my lines weren't perfect, but you know, line, descend blinds mostly going going down on the north side of some of the mountains. Basically, which shoot you take and, and so on. But I, I don't think that really add, that really didn't add up to much at all. Actually, uh, I had uh, foot issues. Basically, I it's it's really hard to find a shoe that works like perfectly out there. I actually I, I really you should have Joey on just to ask him how's what he wore. Uh, I, I should have asked. New bet, new balance, minimus. <laughs> exactly. No, so I, I had some problems with my with my footwear, which I actually think probably cost about an hour and a half altogether. And well, just my feet over the course of over the course of the day, just various issues, but nothing major. I mean, like in you know over the years, I've slashed like dozens of pairs of feet, not dozens, but a lot of shoes out there. Like it's. It's it's impossible to have the shoe for great out there, and I don't think you can get through it without having some sort of foot issue. But I, yeah, I, that was that was it. I mean, that was my low. That was what I struggled with. I have to be honest about it. Well, it's it's funny to that shoe thing. Like David was almost shut down by the exact same thing that shut me down on whites the first time, which is just you know trench foot and just getting your feet wet, and they just you know, shoes don't dry and, uh, you know, your feet just kind of fall apart and it's, it's horrendous. And it was funny. So like I had, I didn't want to get up in the middle of the night. Uh, so I parked on like the route for David to come and meet me. And I guess he was trying to fix his shoe issue. This was after, uh, this was before La Plata after Huron at like Winfield. And so this was like 1am the day that he finished. So probably about, it was like six. It was like six. Oh, six. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like, apparently David like got there and he was like trying to wake me up, but I was like sleeping so heavily that like, you know, I didn't wake up. So like we couldn't fix his, his shoes there. And then, um, after La Plata, when I, when I met him to go up Elbert, uh, fortunately, like I pulled out like all the clean socks. So I've only done laundry twice in 2023. So I just like One was pulled out house. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
once at your house and then once at uh, Abby and Kyle's. And so I pulled out like the three pairs of clean socks that I had, which like, you know, none of them matched, except for I did have like one pair of like Aniji and Gigi, whatever, toe socks. And so like somehow those just like resurrected David's feet. And uh, it was a combination. See, David pissed me off because he kept saying, he kept telling people, he's like, oh, I'm so lucky. It's a miracle. You know, my feet are fine now. And I was like, dog, it's not a miracle. Like, you know, I gave you new socks. And then every single time, like you stepped on a seep or you stepped on snow, I like screamed at you. <laughs> so, yeah, but, yeah it was, it was pretty miraculous actually that his feet just, you know, were, were okay. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I mean, so, okay. So to get more in the details, I guess, because it is, I think it is important for people to like, if they ever want to try this, like, I mean, I know it's not rocket science. You're just talking about Gear like sock and shoe combination. Yeah, you're just talking about you're just talking about how to manage your feet. That's all. But I mean, so I I actually think the socks were maybe a bigger deal. But basically, basically, I had two shoes: one that was chunkier and drained well, and one that was more minimal and drained not as well. And so I had trouble. Basically, I changed into the, the one that didn't drain as well for the night section, and it got wet. And then, even though I changed socks, it still was an issue. And so then, I uh, changed back into the chunkier one, and and with Jack's uh, apparently fresh socks, and I I basically got got over the problem. So it's like I should have known. Like I should have just had. I should have been able to just have more shoes to switch. That's all. I mean, in the end of the day, that would have cost, that would have saved me like an hour. Just having fresher shoes. That's it. Just from the crew perspective, I mean, just to, to like things that I think are, that are important to do. Two things that I noticed is like, number one, like, as I kind of said before, like some of these roads are really bad and I wouldn't expect to be able to like easily drive in any car back there. Getting to Shivano is a nightmare. Part of that road is crazy <laughs> if you don't have good clearance. Yeah. David David drove it in his like lowered Volkswagen. I can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the most tearing part of the day, of the of the whole experience. <laughs> yeah, so and then the other thing is like a lot of the crew access points don't have coverage. And so what I would do is I would give like every group that's meeting the runner out there, I'd give them an inreach and then I would have somebody watching the runner's tracker and then texting that inreach and being like, okay, this is where they are. Because like you pull up to an, uh, a crew access point that has no coverage and you don't know if you've missed the person by 30 seconds or if they're, you know, still 30 minutes away. Uh, and it can be, that can be really tricky. And I think maybe that would have made Nikki's life just a little bit easier if she had some way to kind of communicate and see our tracker. But yeah, that was, that made it kind of um, hard for me. And it's just like, you know, with these supported efforts, I mean, I don't think, especially I think once you like with faster people, it's like so hard to get support. Like it is really, really, really tricky. And that's, that often sometimes can be the crux, you know, for doing something like this. And certainly once it gets longer and you're talking about the AT, PCT, you know, Colorado 14ers, like the hardest thing is going to be getting the crew. Yeah. And I have to, I have to thank, no, I just, I just really wanted to thank uh, Henry Harris from Salida who came out for Yale um, Yale Harvard or Yale Columbia Harvard and uh, crewed at Alpine, and then Sean Van Horn from Carbondale who met me in the middle of the night on the top of Oxford with a night kit. Like, like if if Sean hadn't showed up, you know, like Jack is saying, like it's it is the crux. If he hadn't showed up, I wouldn't have been able to get through the night. Like that's it. So 
yeah, it was just like, and so, so those, those are my, and then Nikki, of course, on, on Masters. Are there any other relevant discussions about gear choices we should have in terms of like what you did or didn't bring like beyond the, the shoe sock combination issue, anything else that's worth discussing for listeners and viewers? Actually, I, I highly suggest the Nordas for this. Like, I'm not even like unbiased. You know, you have minimal, especially if you have multiple pairs, like you're going to do better. I mean, it, they just, they're like incredibly durable. So I, I, I think, and the foam is good for off trail. So I, I suggest them highly. But uh, other gear issues, I mean, luckily it's dry enough that chafing isn't, at least in my experience, really an issue. So you don't have to worry about that. I would say, actually, uh, Jack, Jack had an extra naked belt that he let me use. Like that was a little small for him, so I used that for the whole day, and that was that's it was great because you know you're dealing with you're going through so much water and you're you know trying to eat as much as you can and screwing around with a vest is just a pain in the ass when you're holding poles. I mean, it sounds simple, but basically to have like a nice pocket or all around your waist is like really helpful um that's pretty much it i mean if you want a water filter you can bring it and a sun hat was like extremely helpful the last thing that i think was really helpful is uh yeah i think jack mentioned people have trouble with their eyes and i was aware of that so i wore i had a couple different sunglasses just in case uh, so I wore sunglasses during the day and I wore a clear visor, like a, just, you know, clear glasses during the night Ooh. to protect from the dust. And uh, that was that was clutch for sure. I was going to say, just on the topic of, of low points, I think one of the things that's worth mentioning is um, kind of like the, the heartbreaker we had at the very end where I guess David, correct me if I'm wrong, but had a GPX track in his watch for the entire route and it ended two miles short. And so we're like running down to the fish hatchery and we thought we were going to go sub 39 and um, all of a sudden David's like, yeah, we should be getting there pretty soon. And I like pull out Gaia and I'm like, I think the fish hatchery is still like three miles away. <laughs> so that was, that was a little bit of a, I mean, I don't know how much David cared, but uh, I was like, Oh, that, that kind of sucks. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was, that was one thing. I think it's important to figure out your navigation system. Like at that point, after that long, I was having trouble following the little breadcrumb on my watch, getting down massive. And so it just becomes like, you just can't really think about it that hard at that point. So, but yeah, I mean, if you're going to try for this, you got to figure out your nap. Like that's just, I mean, yeah, you can try to memorize the whole thing, but uh, but for reassurance, it's, it's important. Before we get into, I don't know call it conjecture around whether you could do this route faster and how much, how many more hours someone like your caliber type runner could shave off this route. Is there anything else, any other interesting takeaways or helpful advice that you can offer here on the pod to anyone else interested in this route that we haven't covered in any of these categories? And, and Jack, same thing goes to you too. I would be remiss not to say like, please don't put Cairns up. Like don't screw up the, like the point is it's like off trail and it's in a wilderness area. Like we're lucky we have access to this stuff. If you start putting Cairns up and digging the trail and, you know, being like overly public about exactly where, what you're doing, where you're going and like trying to get all your friends out, like don't go 
doing your scouting with five people every day. Like, just don't. Yeah, that's the first thing I would say because, you know, pretty soon it'll be either completely different or we won't even be able to allow it to run back there anymore um, if it becomes really popular. So, uh, but uh, otherwise, I mean, I would say it's like you just, once you, you just have to be comfortable off trail and I think you'll be fine. That's pretty much it. Like, just don't start getting freaked out if you get cliffed out once or you, you know, in some thicket or willows. Like, just, uh, just go back the next day, see what you did wrong and, you know, and see if you can find the lines through those things. Yeah. I think one thing that I, I kind of um, forgot about going into this is like, it's really, I mean, like as a pacer, like you can really have a huge effect on how well the runner does. And I think as much as you can, uh, you know, I think the ideal is you get to the point where like the runner, all they're doing is just like moving their legs, you know, up and down. And, you know, you are, you're thinking about, you like take, you have to like become their brain. And that can be tricky to do if you don't like know the runner well, if you don't like know what their like nutrition strategy is, if you don't like know the routing. I think the one thing that I was really weak on is like, I just didn't really think the navigation was going to be that tricky. I didn't really, I had like the FKT, like, you know, official Nolan's GPX where like, you know, God knows what that is. And I was just like trying to navigate that on Gaia, but I could have, I could have definitely done a better job. But, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, in an ideal world, you're, you're navigating for the runner, you're telling him when to eat, you're telling him when to drink. And, uh, I think that can just really, you know, move things along and you just, you need to, you need to be prepared to do that as a pacer. I think for, for then that goes for any route that, you know, or any race that allows muling and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So. David, you obviously had an impressive time. It was enough to be a supported FKT and overall FKT by quite a bit, but, um, how much time do you believe that you left out on the course and how much total time do you think is out there on that course in aggregate for, and again, I do, I do characterize you as one of the better, even best runners in the sport, but, um, like, a, like a Killian, for example, like, well, I don't know, like, or a Jack, I don't know. Like what, what, how do you think about all that? What's left out there? The issue with, with sort of predictions and conjecture is like the length is such that, you're getting into sort of uncharted, like you can't be eating a hundred grams of carbs an hour. I don't care, you know, how good, how much you can carry or how good your fueling system is. It's not going to, I don't know if it's even going to help you. You just, I think it's like you're getting into that range of ultra running where we just don't really know. So say you do run the first half quick. Well, it's hard to know what happens in the second half. And, if you have to sit around for an hour because you're trashed, you know, or you bonk, like there goes your whole first half. So it's, it's hard to, I mean, I think personally, I don't know. I think personally I could go, well, I mean, I could see, I could, I think it's possible to shave off a couple hours at least because, you know, you, you just basically, you just have to go really easy and be good in altitude, and then if your easy pace is just slightly faster, that that's a couple hours right there. So as long as you manage everything properly, I think I think if you had a if you had it completely supported, like one hundred percent supported, like every peak, every crossing, you know, you had someone carrying your shit the whole time, like 
that's an enormous advantage and you could go and if you didn't bonk and you know you didn't get any quad cramps and you didn't there's a lot of things you have to avoid but if that go if that happens like i think it could go like 35 or lower i mean maybe 34 yeah i think what's what's tricky about this route and i think what what david executed the best was like if you go on strava and like look at the you know look at the gap uh, it's basically flat over the entire effort. Like he didn't, he never, he like basically the only, the, I think the longest stop you had may have been at Winfield based on that at least. And I think the problem is, is if, if you had somebody, uh, you know, who has like, you know, more titles in the sport kind of come, I think the biggest problem is like what happened kind of Ant- to Anton is like people just come out quick. And I think uh, something about this route is like kind of unforgiving for that. So I think that really the challenge is going to be like controlling your effort. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's really, really tough, I think, to get right. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to add, I mean, like I'm good at sleep deprivation. Like you have to have kind of a lot of different qualities that are unique just to this route. I mean, okay, no, sleep deprivation is unique just to this route. But like you have to be good with sleep deprivation. That's it. If you're not and you start, you know, leaning over, you're, it doesn't matter how, yeah, again, it doesn't matter how fast you ran the first 24 hours. So I guess someone who did really good at Tour Giant could do really well here, for sure. Jack, I like what you said earlier about going back to Joey Campanelli, how part of his advantage was having that through-hiking background and understanding the value of continuous movement and, yeah, not having to be accountable to any pacers or crew and his only job was to move and he already had everything he needed on his back. Do you think that this is more a route catered towards through-hikers or can you have this you know, really high performance running background, like which, which type of endurance athlete do you think that this route naturally favors? You know, it's funny. I don't really like these. I don't really like these comparisons of like which type, because I think we're entering a time in the sport where like the communication is good enough where like the best runner on this route is going to be, it's going to be an ultra runner. In my opinion, it's, that's what it suits toward, you know, eventually, you know, eventually already people are just good enough at running where they're going to be running the entire time, basically more or less. And, um, so yeah, you have to be a runner that's just like willing. And I think like these skills, I mean, you already see it at Western States. It's like the same, like, I think years ago, yes, this was more of a through hiker thing, but like already Western States, like people, you know, people don't stop. Uh, and that's, you know, kind of, that's kind of the game now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think, no, it's, it's going to be, it's a, it's a runner's route. No, for sure. You got any final questions for David we should cover? Yeah, I, I think one thing that was interesting, David. Like, I think I think this is your, I mean, your best result uh, ever in the, in the sport. I mean, I think that's 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 quite clear. And I think you're at this time uh, where you're trying to like define, you know, I, I at least I think the interesting thing is you said to me, you're like, I got to figure out who I want to be as a runner. And uh, I mean, that's like something I've never really thought about. I mean, I don't know if you could kind of like talk about like what you what you kind of like meant by that. Yeah, and. Um, like, you know, how you kind of, how you kind of see yourself and like what you've seen and doing in the future. Oh man. I, I wish I had like a clear thought on this, but I've been, I've been sort of like, so in, in the moment, especially this summer, I don't know, but I mean, I don't know. I really love like the sky runner sort of like, you know, marathon stuff. And, but it's like, if you're thinking about, I mean, like, I think it's pretty clear that if I could, I would do this full time, you know, as long as I can. But like, there's no pathway of doing that, especially for FKTers. But I mean, even even if you're doing well races, I mean, I've 
Like I've, I mean, I've wanted a better like thermo whatever rankings. Not that that necessarily is like indicative of anything, but it's like I don't know. I'm on the elite entry list of UTMB, and I don't make any money. So I guess you have to get top ten at UTMB. Well, then it turns out if you get top ten at UTMB, you're also not making a living. So then, how does this work? In a way, I I kind of want to. I, I'm debating whether to just do projects I really just, you know, love doing and forget about the whole quote unquote pro side of the sport. Just do stuff like this. Or try to try to make it in like the more conventional conventional racing or, you know, try to advertise this stuff at KT wise as, as like a sort of marketing thing, which I don't know, seems a little iffy to me. Just a little but either way I guess, yeah, I just have to figure out like what to do, where to go in the next few years. Or I'm the sort of person where if I'm not going to be able to train the amount I am now or the level I, I am now, like I kind of don't want to. So I have thought about hanging it up, like if I can't make it work. Just because like, okay, if I'm going to go do a PhD in geography, you can't, you're, that's, that's it. Like you're in this day and age, you got to be there. You got to be up at campus like you know don't all day every day so yeah i just don't know I, I guess i'll see you by the end of this year and make it make a call but obviously the adventure side of the sport is like what really calls to me and but then again i'm not i'm not like i don't really want to be like totally you know permit <laughs> monk um forever so yeah we'll see we'll see it'll be fine I think, I think what's kind of interesting is like, I think deep down, like more runners, more trail runners kind of have this struggle than kind of lead on. Um, because I think like if people wanted pure competition, they would just, they would just run on the road or the track. And like, there's a reason trail runners like run on the trail. And like, even talking to Dan Kurtz, he's like, he like looks at the stuff, like the scrambling and like the mountain stuff I do. And he's like, he's like, damn, that like looks like a lot of fun. Like, and so it's just, I, I sometimes I wonder like, how many people line up to do, you know, the big races in the traditional racing scene because, you know, that's financially what makes sense or that's, you know, I, I don't know because I know like when you're training this stuff full time and you're living this life full time, I mean, obviously there are, there are tons of people who race on the road scene and they train the roads full time, but it's just like, if this is like your whole life, like it's a lot easier to do when you're like in the mountains and you're training in like a very aesthetic location. It's like a very compelling route. Like if you're just like going all in for some, you know, I don't know, a route that maybe like relatively a little bit more like, you know, boring, maybe it's not as aesthetic and maybe the training is just uh, a little bit more straightforward. It's just, I love the mountain stuff because like you were kind of getting at it, like every route is unique. You know, you're out there, you're scouting the line. There's like so many things you can optimize. You know, you're working on like, you know, running downhill on like steep terrain and on scree. And, you know, if you're getting to more technical stuff, you have to like focus on those technical skills separately. It's just it's just a lot more exciting and a lot more interesting. And, you know, sometimes I have a vision of the sport where it's like, that's, this is the way things will go in the future. But I think like, you know, financial interests and everything else, like kind of push it in a different direction. This reads like a Greek tragedy to me. Like you have this great talent, you have this great energy for the sport, you're doing inspiring stuff. And we're at this moment in human society and the sport where, there's not quite a market for it. And the ways that you do make it, there's like two or three different ways 
maybe in your case, the most appetizing one is to try to get to like 3k a month as fast as possible as a coach, because you could probably still balance out the, the running. You could still do the amount of running you want, but, um, damn, it just like, it cuts me deep as a fan of yours to think that you may have to entertain retirement at the end of this year, because you know what it takes to be your best. And there's no way you can sustain that in terms of making a living in our sport right yet. And maybe that'll, maybe it'll change in 10 years, but then in 10 years, you know, you're not in your prime anymore. So I, it's just, damn. Yeah. Damn. But I mean, I don't know that. I mean, there's some beauty to that in that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all amateurs. I mean, most of us are amateurs just like pursuing a passion. I don't know. There's something cool about that. Like that's what sport used to be every all sport and the fact that you you know there's still a little sliver of that for us and you know there's so much freedom involved in running otherwise it's pretty great it just yeah i mean if if there's no like if there's no salary coming in but i mean you're right with coaching i mean there's ways of making it happen i don't know like i said i mean pursuing nolan's that was that was 100 percent of the day 100 percent so day and night. So give a, give a call to the folks at what do you call it? Provoke endurance. <laughs> my company that, yeah. that I work for provoke <laughs> evoke. Uh, number one, number two, David, Provo. you can't, you can't retire yet. Cause you have a, def- you have a, de- yeah, that's going to be my company. I'm going to found provoke endurance. Yeah. So David, you can't, number one, you can't retire now because you have a fucking deferred UTMB entry for next year. I'm assuming maybe you change your mind. Maybe you are doing it this year. Uh, and then like number two, the other thing is, is like, you know, as much as like, you know, t- fucking Finn, you know, is constantly slobbering all over Tom Evans and is like 100% approach to the sport. Like he got beat at black canyons by Anthony Castales. And like, Anthony is like, you know, is not as focused. And I think sometimes, like that can be an advantage, you know? And I think, yeah, I totally sympathize. I empathize, sympathize. I don't know what the difference of those words are. I understand like this, this 100% focus idea. And like, I certainly, uh, have also tried to do that, but I think there is value to having like other things in your life. If that's like a job, you know, or whatever that I think, you know, I think, I think you can definitely do both. Uh, if you can find some way to like make money. And I think sometimes it's advantageous to have something else in your life. That's not just, you're not just running. Yeah, and in that case, you could probably afford more recovery tools, which may help you in another area, stuff like that. So you, you can you can buy some you can buy some recovery with your nine to five. No, I mean you're right. I don't know. I'm being a little bit melodramatic here, but uh, that's the way I see. It. I mean, that's the way I see it right now. And yeah, I wasn't able to defer my entry, so I'm either going or I, don't know. I feel good I enough. You should to go. go. Yeah. Oh, good lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a classic triple, Ultra Trail, Sonodonia, Nolan's, and then UTMB. <laughs> yeah, in three months. Hell yeah. Or four months. David, seriously, I, I really appreciate your time, Jack. You know I always appreciate your time, too. You guys are awesome. You're two of the reasons why I, I, I really enjoy doing this. Either of you, I guess, starting with Jack. David, we'll give you the final word. Jack, do you have any final thoughts here that you want to relay to the audience before we go? Uh, yeah, I'd say one thing. So like David, David had a lot of trouble getting support for this. And like, I threw it on my IG story and I know a lot of people saw it who like live in the area and I know it was hard rock weekend, but like, I have to admit, like, you know, my motivation initially is like, Hey, like, I mean, I have taken so much out of the karmic, you know, supported 
running bank that I have to like give back at some point, especially if I ever want to be supported in the future. Uh, but at the same time, and that's the way I kind of felt like, okay, I'm just like doing my time, you know, up until like I actually pace David, you know, getting out there and like getting on the route and like, you know, kind of helping in a, in a small way that I could. I mean, it was, it was, it was really, really cool both because I got to do a great, you know, point to point run in a fantastic location and see a great route, but also because like, you know, I felt like I was able to add value and, and see something like really, you know, incredible, like go down, you know, just from like a human endurance, you know, perspective and everything. So I'm, I'm, you know, super, super happy. I got out there and, and pasted. And, uh, I think it's something that, uh, I mean, everybody, I mean, like, yeah, tons of people pace during races and everything, but, uh, yeah, I would just, I would take advantage of an opportunity to do that because I think it's a lot, it's a lot kind of cooler, um, than I at least kind of thought it was going to be. So, yeah. I mean, on the same note, just, I just can't thank Jack, uh, Jack enough, especially, and Henry and Sean and Mickey and Alex and Joey as well. Megan Hicks, uh, just for her role. And just everyone who's been like, who's been really stoked on this. I mean, it was cool to see how many people were actually like, I didn't turn my phone on the whole time. And then I got back and I'm like, wow, people were following this. They were like trying to see how I was doing. I was like, holy shit. I was just out there, you know, kind of moving slowly and seemed cool. So I don't know. Yeah. I just want to thank everyone involved and everyone who, who cared. And yeah, I mean, the whole thing was like really special for me obviously and and if it can like i mean it's so cool to see people being like wow i was following you and like i'm really inspired because i don't know that's it feels good yeah 